0: Hi, this is Donna Otto and we are Modern Homemakers. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm sending these podcasts to you wherever you are. Uh, I think the last time we counted, and we haven't done it recently, 38 countries around the world are somewhere someone is listening to Modern Home. So we welcome you. And we'd love to hear, if you're new to the ministry, if you're new to listening to these podcasts, will you just send us an email that says, I'm listening from We'd love it if you subscribe, but you don't have to. We just would love to know where you're listening from. We are in the middle of just something I love to do, sort of two things or maybe even three things at one time. So we are teaching through the Sermon on the Mount and the subjects of each of these portions of the sermon, we are taking bunny trails off of and talking about the predominant topic. We recently were in Matthew chapter 5, where God tells us to be angry, be angry. Well, he doesn't say it there. He says anger is like murder. Ouch. And then Paul tells us later in the book of Ephesians that we are to be angry, but not sin, And just a quick review, anger is an emotion given to us by God. And from God's perspective, anger and laughter are just emotions. But what are we doing with them? So we are today doing the third session in a five session, five session or four session series on the subject of anger. So this series, we are talking about anger in the Word of God, anger in the world, and anger in your world. We recently talked about what presses me to get angry. What causes me to get anger? To rise up and to act on it. Well, well, two of those things are your goals are thwarted. You know, you're in the car, you've got a goal, you want to get there 15 minutes early. Okay, you just want to be on time. And the traffic is crazy. Your goal is being thwarted. Uh-oh, can't be there on time. <gasps> That'll be embarrassing. Oh, she's the friend who always is early. Oh, it goes on, doesn't it? Our goals are are teeny and minuscule, and sometimes we even know it's a goal. Or something I value is threatened. Someone I love is threatened. <gasps> boy, I can be angry about that. I can be angry and chain that anger from what actually happened to that value all the way down to whose fault it was. Today, I want to talk to you that anger is really about you. Ouch. You know, every time I say a statement like that, I want you all to know that I may be teaching it, but I want you to know that I am learning it. I am learning it. I'm going to give you some tools. The first time that I came encounter uh, with, with anger, anger management, my own realization that I had a hot fuse was um, with my husband. We were recently married and he I did whatever it was. I can't remember the situation. My husband would laugh. If he were here right now, he'd say, but I can. (laughs) Because he has a better memory than I do. But I popped off about something and he said, wow, I didn't know you had such a short fuse. Guess what? That made me madder than whatever it was that I don't have a short fuse. Most of us who deal with anger do have a short fuse. So, people are not sensitive to me. They keep making mistakes. They violate my laws. They hurt me. And I need to let them know about that. If I do not stop them, they will keep on hurting me. I need to take care of myself. Does this sound like anything you've thought or heard? Or maybe you've been in a counselor's office who has told you, set boundaries. You shouldn't take that. You should take care of yourself. Well, I want to say that I encourage you to seek professional help. But I also encourage you to have a very good balance between what the Word of God says and what a professional counselor said. And if you can find a professional counsel counselor who says to you that he believes in the Word of God and has filtered what he has learned about the study of man, psychology, through the study of God, theology, I think you'll find a good answer to the situations you'll bring. Anger is really about you. Your goals are thwarted. Your values are devalued. There's been an injustice in the kingdom. does not have anything to do with stop and hurting me and I'm angry and I'm going to retaliate. So today we ask again, where is the anger in the word? Where is the anger in the world? And where is the anger in you? And I think we're going to look today to learn to recognize the many faces of anger. So preserving personal worth. Does anger rise up when you're feeling blessed, affirmed, or rewarded? Or does it rise up when you're being devalued? When your worth has just been smashed. Your worth. Think of that phrase. What is your worth? And what is your worth in the kingdom of God? And whose righteousness is it? Yours or yours because God's righteousness is yours? Now, we lose a job, a relationship ends, a marriage is crumbling, There are a lot of reasons that we feel devalued. Our worth is in God, not in ourselves. Psalms 8 verses 4 and 5 will remind you of who God is and who you are. So preserving essential needs, love, encouragement, respect, a place to be, and to receive the one-anothers of the Scripture. There are so many, especially in the New Covenant, that talk about the one-another, love one-another, pray for one-another, serve one-another. People are God's way of meeting some of these needs in our life. He sends them to us, and we need them. When these needs are not met, we get angry, And we want to be angry at that person by saying, don't you understand what my needs are right now? I hear that the most often when we talk um, in marriage situations. I talk to the woman, David and I talk to the couple. The couple will say, he's not meeting my needs. She's not meeting my needs. When someone tries to meet your needs, it's never going to be enough do you want me to say that again? It's never going to be enough. And you know, I talk frequently around here about staying, staying, abiding, staying in this culture, which is full of leaving, leaving, leaving children, leaving marriages, leaving churches, leaving work, leaving everything. Well, let me just tell you something about meeting needs. The longer you stay in any kind of relationship with another human being, that's a friendship relationship, that's a a parent-child relationship, that's a marriage relationship, I promise you that my husband understands my needs better today, after decades of marriage, than he did on the first few months of marriage. I've told this story many years ago. I haven't thought about it even for a, such a long time. But David is a man who lives out of his head. His first response to things is a heady one. So mostly, as an attorney, what's the truth here? What are the facts here, ma'am? What are the facts? And I looked at him. There was something going on that I thought should be fixed, and I looked at him, and I said, I know it's not going to end up all right, but I want you to tell me it'll be okay. And he just looked at me like, I, I do remember his face, much younger face, good-looking man I married. And he looked at me, and he said, wait, wait, let me get this right. You want me to tell you, who already knows it's not going to be okay, that it'll be okay. And I said, mm-hmm. And then he said, I suppose you want me to hug you too. And I said, mm-hmm. and he did like, he did not understand. I want, I promise you, he did not understand. I'm not sure he fully understands now, but may I tell you that after my staying year after year, decade after decade, and my husband does understand my needs better. Does he understand them all? He does not. I don't understand them all, but I just want you to know no one but Jesus can actually meet my needs. God is enough. The car breaks down, we take it to a mechanic, and we are freed. We'll be cheated. The floors are washed, and the kitchen is clean, and her teenager comes home and thrashes the place. You feel that you've been harmed. In Philippians 4, 9, he says, and my God, my God is your God, will supply every need of yours according to the riches in glory in Jesus Christ. So, if you're fretting about your needs being met, remember that God and God alone can meet your needs, and He doesn't meet them on demand. Preserving basic convictions. We need a cadre of firm principles, beliefs, convictions to live our lives. They're what we base our decisions on. They're how we make our choices. But when these convictions cause us to get angry because someone, some someone else's, like a church or a neighborhood or a school or a country or the rules for covid are not following them, well, the conviction has become more important than the person. Now, in 1 Corinthians 8.1, Paul is talking to the people at Corinth, and he says, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs us up, but the love builds up. It is possible to be so full of God, principles, truth, and knowledge that you are no earthly good. But the Holy Spirit lives within you. Hmm. I remember being told that the Holy Spirit did not have a big nose. If you've never seen a picture of me, go to our website, you'll find one, and you'll see that I have a very big nose. Not that I'm nosy, although I have been. But I often discern, I often think I know what is best. But the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit, and He lives in you, and He lives in others. And the Holy Spirit will allow you to recognize your forms of anger, and He does know what's best. You can begin to see that you have a choice in how you express your anger. You face a painful circumstances. You feel your needs are unmet. Your convictions are devalued. You want to change it, and you want to change it Now. So, Minimus Myers, who we have provided 13 of their anger management, uh, what would you call them, anger management steps, are being provided on the front page of our website. So it's a rotating 13. So you may see it for two or three days, and then you'll see it for two or three days, uh, three more. Okay, there are 13 of them all together. But they tell us that there are five ways to handle anger. Are you ready for this? And this you can write down. It's not going to be on the website, okay? Suppression, that's stuffing it. Open aggression, Mm -hmm. we know what that one is of aggression. We certainly know what that is. Assertiveness and dropping it. Huh. The first time I read that, I thought, isn't dropping it like suppression? No. No, it's not. I don't know about you, but when I look at these five things, I want you to know something with great uh, sense of disappointment, but reality, I've tried all five. At one point or another, I've tried all five. I remember being accused of being passive-aggressive, and I thought, isn't that a good thing? It's like, isn't it a good thing not to be aggressive-aggressive? Because I'm mostly aggressive. No, passive-aggressive is even not worse, although I have heard psychologists say that passive-aggressive is the worst way of demonstrating our feelings. So let's talk through them a little. Why do you suppress your anger? Is it fear of your image or remembrance of someone who expressed anger to you in a poor way, so you suppress it. Usually, if you suppress your anger, it just acts like trash in a trash can. And after a while, it blows up. I don't know about you, but I've had that experience. I remember having that experience and remembering this truth as I was doing it. I, I, I remember this truth as I was doing it. Like, I could feel... The layer of trash. Oh, and that was from long ago. And that one's from what? And they were coming out of me one at a time because I had stuffed them in there. And now the trash can had mixed together with all that trash. Think about it. Think what happens when you put too much trash in the trash can and they mix with chemicals and smells and issues. And then all of a sudden, poof, you got to get it out of there. And you, out it goes. Open aggression. This we see a lot of in, it's the rage in the world. It's on the road. I, I can tell you that I remember the first time there was road rage in America. It was all over the news. We don't even talk about that anymore. But rage is found on the road in your home. It is blame. It is timidation, It can be bickering or criticism or griping. The critic who just gives you the critical look. In our household, growing up, we had one child. And then we took in my husband's sisters, three children. So we had four children, three adults for part of the time and two adults for the other. They were all there. They were the suppressors, the open aggressors, the passive aggressors, the asserters. They were all there showing up at different times. Boomba, dad, head of household brother to the sister, uncle to the three, father to the one, husband to me. He developed what the kids used to call the stink eye. And it was, it was really a combination of, of open and passive aggression because you could see him give you the stink eye. You felt badly about it, but he wasn't willing to say, you are doing well. He did not like that at all. Um, he was not open about it. He gave the stink eye. And the passive aggressive part was when it began to be something that he would be frustrated with. Now, my husband is very quick to learn and to change, but not fast enough that the stink eye didn't settle and that he still gets, is that the stink eye, see Uncle David? Assertive. This form of expression is much like the Ephesians 4, 26, and that is, be angry, but don't sin. Address what has happened. Explain how you feel. Ask for change, but don't demand it. Or don't be crushed if it doesn't happen. Trust God for the change. This is was so helpful to me. When I came to this, I thought, oh, wait a minute. I can actually say, I can actually say, Hey babe, I'm angry about this, but I don't say it in a sinful way. And then I can, if the person is willing to listen to me, I can express what I feel about it and what just happened. My husband to this day says, when I make time to do that, he learns a great deal about me. Remember what Paul says in Ephesians, that we are to speak the truth in love. And if I've just been crushed and it hurts, I'm not to be speaking it in anger. I'm to be speaking the truth of how I feel in love. Make sure you use a model that is useful to you. One of the things that is useful to me that I learned many years ago are the four C's. Commending, concerning, counseling, and challenging. And not challenging with your hands on your hips. But the challenge is, here's what would have been better if you wanted to think about it. And lastly, drop it. I went through a period of time after the first gas crisis in America, gas shortage, which is 30 years ago. And I decided that when I made errands, I was going to put a list of errands and I was going to start out of the house and make all the errands and only turn right and then get back home by only turning right and then I would be at home. Got it? turn right. I'm afraid it kind of stuck. Yeah, I think I'm a little compulsive about things. Okay. I think I'm a lot of compulsive about things. But we're driving and my husband... I will say this about my husband. I say it to him frequently. He's the best driver I have ever seen, I have ever known, I have ever watched, I have ever ridden with. I'm totally comforted with him. And I have been in cars where really I'm thinking, how do I say, could you stop at the light? I'll catch a bus. Because uh, they're stopping, they're starting, they're pushing the brake, they're they're weaving down the lane, they're, they're saying things about the other drivers. It's just a terrible thing. So my husband is in the car, and we're going to run errands. I forgot that he was driving, I thought I was driving. And suddenly he starts to turn left and I say, don't you want to turn right? And he looked at me. My husband is not given to loud voice, not at all. And he looked at me and he said, does it really matter? As he took his fist and hit the center column of the driving steering wheel. And I looked at him. It was such a perfectly placed line. I thought, no, no. I said, no, 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 it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. I'm really sorry. So drop it is like that. You ask yourself, whatever that little anger thing comes up, you say to yourself, does it really matter? I'm amazed at how many times that little phrase has kept me from saying something that I didn't need to say. Does it really matter? Drop it. Don't mention it. What is the truth? David is not perfect. He doesn't turn right all the time. Ha, 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 ha. It's a lot about learning timing and topic. Sometimes it's just a bad time. Sometimes the topic needs to be dropped. Sometimes the topic needs to be brought up with other topics that are like it. God forgives us and we can forgive others, even if what they are doing is wounding or hurtful to us. Russ Campbell, in his book, How to Really Love Your Child, he presents us with an anger ladder. And the lowest rung is biting and hitting. And I want to remind you about that. I'm going to remind you the next time we're talking about this, the last session, about what God says to Cain in Genesis 4. Why are you angry? Cain has a chance here to realize that he is angry because his needs are are not being met by his brother. The sin of not trusting God is crouching at our doors always. Daily we sin. Daily we sin to each other. We are saved from sin for eternity. Does it really matter? Be sure to know and understand what God is causing you to even bring into a conversation. But abandon our ways, resting in him Sinning and anger are not his ways. I'm Donna Otto. This is Modern Homemakers. And we will continue our anger series with one more session. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and memorize the phrase, does it really matter?